commend this offering into your hands, that you'll take this offering, multiply it, touch the lives of people around us, that they might be able to know who this Jesus is, your son. It is in his name we pray. Amen. Our scripture today will be taken from the gospel according to Matthew chapter 2. So I invite you to take your Bibles, if you will, and turn with me to Matthew chapter 2. It's great to see all of you as we begin this new year together. It's great to see the choir. This is the first time they've been here this year. <laughs> I guess, or any of us. So what a privilege it is to join together and start a new year worshiping our God together. Matthew chapter 2, beginning of verse 1, where Matthew writes, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod secretly called for the wise men and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word so that I may go also and pay him homage. When they heard the king, they set out and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. And on entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then, opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word and for the privilege of studying it together. And now as I stand before these, your people, your church, the ones for whom you came and gave your only son, I pray that this would now be your message and not my own through the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the things that my family loves to do is to play games. We like to get together. We'll play some games together. We enjoy having a good time. There are a lot of you that like to do that. We had the opportunity over the Christmas and New Year's time. Several of you had parties and get-togethers. And some of what we would do is get together and play some games. And it's fun to laugh and to play games together. Now, one of the games that we sometimes play that I really do not enjoy is Trivial Pursuit. And one of the reasons that I don't enjoy it is that I'm just not really good at it. 
I mean, that's not necessarily my thing with all the minute details. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she's really good at it. But she's the kind, when we go to a movie, when the movie's over and everybody else is getting up leaving, we stay seated to watch the credits. Because that's when, you know, she'll go, oh, I wondered if that was so-and-so. She played in this, she played in that, or he played here, or he played there. And I'm going, I don't really care. And so therefore, when we get to Trivial Pursuit, because I didn't really care, I don't know the answers to the questions. In our last church, we had a family that was born and raised in Mount Airy. Mount Airy is the home of Andy Griffith. I grew up as a kid watching the Andy Griffith show all the time. So what game do they have? Andy Griffith Trivial Pursuit. We would be invited over to their home for dinner. And then we would play the game. What was interesting though that we learned was we should just never allow my wife and her husband to ever be on the same team or it was just a slaughter for whoever else was playing. At least if we divided up a little bit, we could pretend like we were participating. We could pretend like we were doing something. Well, after the choir had had its uh, gather, you know, musical and the lettuce and a lot of our worship and our experiences, they had a choir party. One of the things that, that they often do, and they invited us to come, is, is on the wall throughout the home, there was a list of trivial questions that you, know, you could kind of try to answer. And at the end of the night, then they would come through and give you, you know, here are all the answers, you know, here's the question, here's the answer. And, and it was a fun game to play. One of the questions was... How many wise men were there? And oftentimes, we will answer the question, Ooh, I know this one, I know this one. Three. How do we know? Because we sing the song. We, three kings. There you go. Here's the answer. We really don't know. We really don't know how many wise men there were. I mean, we say three because they offer gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh as if each one of them brought something different, but we really don't know were there two, three, four, five, six. We're not really sure how many wise men there were. It looks good at the nativity scene with three. I mean, to put ten around there blocks the baby. But we're not really sure how many there were. And odds are, odds are they were not kings. We were not really sure who they are. Some think that they were astrologers, learned people who learned to study the stars. That's why they noticed that God had done something new. Others believed that they were emissaries from other countries. Because sometimes when, when a child was to be born, it was a prince or it would be the king of another country. Each country would send their political emissaries to go there and, and offer gifts on behalf of one country to the other to kind of show the respect. And we don't really know exactly who these are. But one of the things that we do know for sure is they were not Jewish. And one of the important points then to be able to realize is, is that, that on this day, what God did was he made sure that the world knew this Christ child, yes, was in the line of David. This Christ child, yes, is the fulfillment of the covenant with Abraham. But this Christ child is a testimony that God so loved the world. And so now even the outsiders, us, we were invited to come to see and to worship 
the Christ child. Today is known as Epiphany. January the 6th is Epiphany, and it just so happens this year, January the 6th, falls on a Sunday. But, the, but January the 6th is Epiphany, and, and the days between Christmas and Epiphany are known as the 12 days of Christmas. And a lot of cultures, things are done a little differently. Now here in our culture, we have a tendency when Thanksgiving is over, the day after, we're going to decorate our homes for Christmas or you know somewhere thereabouts. So we just kind of know when Christmas is over, start carrying the stuff in. We also know that when Christmas Day is over, start putting it up. So this past weekend, what did we do at our home? This past weekend was the take down the tree, take down all the stuff. Now, the good thing for me is that, you know, part of my job is to help bring the boxes in, you know, take the tree out, and then to take the boxes and put them back up. But Nancy has a system. So all I have to do is kind of put the stuff in one area. She packs it up. She's got the system in place. That was our weekend, was taking it all down. Now, in other cultures... If you go to Israel, other places, you would see that it's on Christmas Eve that you decorate the home. It's on Christmas Eve that you decorate the home and get ready to celebrate the gift of the Christ child. And then from Christmas Day through the 12 days of Christmas, you continue to celebrate the gift of the Christ child, culminating then with the wise men coming to see the Christ child on Epiphany. It's a season. Now, why is it such a big deal? Well, but one of the reasons is, is because the story of Christmas is, is how God so loved the world that, that on Christmas night, he sent, saw some shepherds out in the field and he sent some angels to say, I've got some good news of great joy. It's for you and for all the people. To you is born this day in the city of David, your Savior, who is the Messiah, the Christ, the Lord. This will be the sign. You'll find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And then we celebrate that God also put a star up in the sky and said to those in the east and to all those around and to all the world, this Christ child is for you. Come and worship. So the wise men, they, they see the star and and they make their way to Jerusalem. They're not sure exactly where the child is to be born. And, and so they come to Jerusalem, the capital there, to, to where the king was in his royal palace. And, and they start asking, where is the one that is to be born king of the Jews? We've come to worship him. And now the king gets a little nervous. We've come to worship. Actually, the scripture here said homage. It's not a word that I use very often. Homage. I don't know if you use homage very often. I mean, I don't say, i got to get ready for homage tomorrow. I'm preaching four times at homage. I mean, it's another word for worship. I just don't use that word. But, but it's a Greek word that's pretty powerful. Sometimes when we translate things from the Greek to the English, and the New Testament was written in Greek, sometimes when we translate from one language to another, we lose some nuances. And, and the Greek word here is actually proskuneo. Proskuneo. And that word for worship here actually means to kiss. Isn't that interesting? It comes from the derivative, the root word, to kiss. Not the romantic kiss, the sacred kiss. That, that shows a reverence for, an awe for, a worship of. I mean, actually, if you look up that Greek word, it, it means to, to bow down. To bow down, to, to recognize I'm in front, I am in the presence of one 
for whom I should kneel, or I should bow. It's a sign of, of, of reverence. It's a word of reverence. And one of the things that I, I just really encourage us to think about is, is, is I love the intimacy that we talk about with Jesus, but, but at the same time is never to lose the sense of reverence for Jesus, of who this God is. Reverence. But it also means to adore. I mean, think about what that does to our worship. If we join together in this place to sing songs of praise because we adore Jesus Christ. You see the difference? What, what it would do differently when we pray to our God, but our prayers reflected that we adore Jesus Christ. And when we worship our God, to recognize that, that worship is that sense of, of adoration, that sense of coming into the presence of God because we adore Him. Well, Herod's pretty nervous now, and it said all of Jerusalem with him, and that's because Herod was a pretty rough guy. Herod was extremely paranoid. He would have his own kids killed when he thought that, that they might be trying to usurp the throne. And, and so when somebody comes up and says, where is the one that's to be born king of the Jews? He's not a happy camper, because that's my job. I'm the king of the Jews. It's kind of like if some of y'all came up and said, where's the new preacher? <laughs> Probably wouldn't be really happy about it. Not saying I'd try to slaughter him, but I would just not be all happy about it. So Herod then pulls together the chief priests and the scribes to find out where is this kid to be born. Now I find that very interesting. Something you need to know about Herod. Herod was Jewish. Now the Roman Empire is occupying Israel at this time, but the Roman Empire was so massive that they would allow kings of various regions to kind of serve as puppet kings to kind of keep their area under control. So Herod kind of had some power, but he still answered to Caesar. He still answered to the emperor. But Herod was Jewish himself. But here's something we learn about Herod. Herod didn't attend enough Bible studies when he was younger. So I encourage you to be in a Bible study or small group so you wouldn't have to call the preacher to ask this question because Herod didn't know the answer to the question. Where's the kid to be born? Not really sure. Let me ask the preacher. Preacher! So he calls the chief priest and the scribes. Where's the kid to be born? But notice what Herod does say. The wise men had asked the question, where is, the one, where is this child who's been born king of the Jews? It was Herod who asked the chief priest, where is the Messiah to be born? I think that's important. Because Herod knew that this wasn't just any child. This king of the Jews, he may not have known where he was to be born, but he knew who he was to be. Because Herod says to the chief priest, where's the Messiah? Which is the the Hebrew word for the anointed one of God, the one the prophets had been talking about and looking for. And, and so Herod now is looking, where is this Messiah? And it's important because what we need to see is that Herod's arrogance, his paranoia, his desire for power, for control, to rule, to be in charge, so far surpassed his faith that even though he knew this was the anointed one of God, Herod was willing to take him out. Herod was willing to do away with God's plan for his own plan. It's back to the original sin that Reinhold Niebuhr shared that 
that we ha all have, and that is self-interest, where we will put our interest even above God's. Happened in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. Happens here with Herod. Herod knows who he is, still ready to do away. The chief priests, scribes say, well, he's to be born in Bethlehem. The prophet said, he'll be born in Bethlehem. So Herod tells them, I, 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 want, I want you to come here. And, and he pulls the wise men aside. Matthew says he secretly called them aside. You know why? That, that means that he didn't want everybody to hear what he was doing. Secretly he asked them, exactly what time did you see the star? Now why did he want to know that? Exactly what time was it? Because what we want to know is, how old is this kid? exactly what time did you see the star? Now we know that because if you just skip down to verse 16, you will see that when the wise men did return, Herod then will have every child age two and under slaughtered. Why? Because he figured out, according to Matthew, he did the two years from knowing exactly what time the star appeared as the wise men had told him. What time? So he sends the wise men to Bethlehem. Go. Go to Bethlehem. Worship the kid, and, and when you find him, make sure you send me word, because I really want to come and worship him too. We know from verse 16, that's not true. So they go to Bethlehem. Now, when you go to Bethlehem, what you need to know is Jerusalem to Bethlehem is only about six miles. That's not that far. What, like here to Waxhaw or something? I mean, it's not that far. Not that far to Bethlehem. So you can picture Jerusalem's up on one hillside and you literally can look over across the valley and see Bethlehem on the other side. So when they leave to go, the star leads the way. And one of the beautiful things that the scripture tells us is that the star stopped over the place where the child was, meaning they could see he's just up at the Arboretum. He's close. He's not that far. And what the scripture says is they were overwhelmed with joy. Now, isn't that cool? They were excited because they were close. It didn't say that once they saw the child, they were overwhelmed with joy. It said when they realized the star had stopped and they were getting close to the child, that alone, that sheer anticipation, the sheer of excitement of we are almost in the presence of God and what God is doing, that led to incredible excitement. They were overwhelmed with joy. I mean, how many of us when we come to worship, are so excited because we adore Christ that when we get close, we feel the joy. See, they, the wise men may not have been in the covenant community, but they sure seemed to get it, didn't they? They sure seemed to get it. And they, they came and they, they found Mary, the child, in the house. Now notice the scripture says in the house because Mary and Joseph did not stay in the stable for a couple years. They, they came out. They came out and were now in the house and the baby is now a toddler. I love that scene because it's one thing to kneel down before the cradle it's another to kneel down before a two-year-old who can talk back a little bit. <laughs> but they kneeled down before the baby Jesus, and the Scripture said they paid him homage. There's that word again. They adored him. 
They saw this kid. They knew this was the child of God. And they, had, they adored him. And they worshipped. And they brought him gifts. Gifts of gold. Gold was a gift for a king. They brought him frankincense. That's the incense that often the priest would use. It's a fragrant incense. And, and in a lot of worship experiences today, and in, in Jesus' time as well, they would worship with incense as well. Because we tend to worship God with all of our senses, with the exception of smell. But a lot of churches then, you will see the priests with the incense, and they fill the room with a fragrance so that you're worshiping God with all the senses, including the sense of smell. So offering frankincense was, was actually the gift for a priest. So the gift for a king. The gift for a priest. And myrrh. Myrrh was again a fragrant perfume, but... It was also used to anoint the bodies of a loved one after they had died. To anoint the body of a loved one after they had died. Myrrh. So they offered him gift. Here's the key. Here's for the priest. And here's for the one who will die for the world. And then finally, the wise men teach us again something pretty powerful. Herod had said to them, now when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go too. But God revealed to them, you're not to return to Herod. Go a different way. So they had a choice to make. Do we listen to the king of Israel? Or do we listen to the king of kings? Are we obedient to the king of Israel? Or will we be obedient to the king of kings? And the scripture says that they left a different way. They went home without going to Herod. Because the wise men again teach us. Wow. Once we've experienced the Christ child, our loyalties change. Once we've experienced the Christ child, the one to whom we're obedient changes. Once we've experienced the Christ child then our allegiance is to God and God alone. So no matter what the rulers of our world says, no, no matter what our culture says, no matter what else is happening in the world around us, our loyalty and our obedience and our allegiance is to God and God alone. And when we've encountered the Christ, we leave differently than the way we came in. We're called to be different. I, I love the story of the wise men, mainly because for a group of people that seem to be on the outside, they seem to understand the inside better than many of us on the inside figured it out. They were so excited to come and experience what God was doing. Filled with joy when they were close. Worshiping and adoring what God had done through His only begotten Son. And leaving differently at the beginning of a new year the end of the 12 days of christmas on epiphany well we have the opportunity to renew our relationship with god as well this is the opportunity for us to think about what is it like when we come and kneel before the christ all of us were brought to christ somehow you're here today maybe you were just abiding in the field, keeping watch over your flock by night, and an angel appeared. Maybe it was a star in the sky that led you here. Maybe it was a parent who led and taught you about Jesus Christ as you were growing up. Maybe it was a spouse 
who introduced you to Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a child who shared with you about Jesus Christ. Maybe it was a friend or a neighbor, but somehow somebody put either angels in the sky, star in the sky, or some way led you to worship the Christ child. Now the question is, is how are we different as a result of it? And so one of the things that John Wesley loved to do each year was to renew our relationship with him with a covenant to renew our covenant, to reaffirm our faith, to recommit our lives to the Christ child, to recognize that God has done something amazing in this gift offering shepherds and wise men, and now I want to recommit to that as somebody who lives here today. Actually, Wesley loved to do it on New Year's Eve. On, on New Year's Eve, he would get together and have a service similar to what we do on Christmas Eve at 11 o'clock. The 11 o'clock service on Christmas Eve ends on Christmas Day. So when you're lighting the candle, taking communion, singing joy to the world, it's actually Christmas Day. And, and, and Wesley loved to have a New Year's Eve service where at 11 o'clock you'd start the service. When you ended it, it would be New Year's Day. And the very first thing you did on New Year's Day was recommit your life to Jesus Christ. He loved that. We tend to do it on the first Sunday of the new year. We give ourselves the opportunity to recommit our lives to Christ. Because in these 12 days of Christmas, God has done something incredibly amazing. God so loved you and the rest of the world that he gave his only begotten son. So that if we would believe in him, we would never perish but have everlasting life. And then God invited us all to come and embrace the Christ child from shepherds to wise men. All in between, we're invited to come and embrace the Christ child. And the question is, what difference does it make in our lives? So I invite you, as we prepare to recommit our lives, to take a moment and let us, each of us in silence, make our confession to God. Have mercy on us, Lord, and forgive us. And I invite you to respond. And the prayer that we're about to receive here is actually from Psalm 51. It's David's prayer of confession. Will you join me? Have mercy. Let's go to the next one, please. Here we go. Let us pray together. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love and your abundant mercy blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. Now the message that we've heard from God's Son and we announce is this. God is light and there's no darkness at all in Him. If we live in the light just as He is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, purifies us from every sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and there's no truth in us. But if we confess our sins to God, He will keep His promise and do what is right, and will forgive us all wrongdoing. Amen. Thanks be to God. And now I invite you to hear the covenant. And sometimes when we go through liturgy, it, 
it can be dead if we just have words. I invite you to hear the words and in a moment to make a prayer to God. In the Old Covenant, God chose Israel to be a special people and to obey the law. Our Lord Jesus Christ, by His death and His resurrection, has made a new covenant with all who trust in Him. We stand within this covenant and bear His name. On the one side, God promises in this covenant to give us new life in Christ. On the other side, we are pledged to live not for ourselves, but for God. Today, therefore, we meet to renew the covenant which binds us to God. And I invite you to stand if you're able. Friends, let us claim the covenant that God has made with His people and accept the yoke of Christ. To accept the yoke of Christ means that we allow Christ to guide all that we do and are, and that Christ Himself is our only reward. Christ has many services to be done. Some are easy. Others are difficult. Some make others applaud us. Others bring only reproach. Some we desire to do because of our own interests. Others seem unnatural. Sometimes we please Christ and we meet our own needs. At other times, we cannot please Christ unless we deny ourselves. Yet Christ strengthens us and gives us the power to do all things. Therefore, let us make this covenant of God our own. Let us give ourselves completely to God, trusting in His promises and relying on His grace. And as we respond, this is a prayer between you and God. So please don't just say the words. Pray these words. Will we respond? I give myself completely to you, God. Assign me to my place in your creation. Let me suffer for you. Give me the work that you would have me to do. Give me many tasks. Or have me step aside while you call others. Put me forward or humble me. Give me riches or let me live in poverty. I freely give all that I am and all that I have to you. And now, Holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. So be it. May this covenant made on earth Continue for all eternity. Amen. You may be seated.